very thankful for God and his providence. Pastor Jason has given to us in the intro to theology class a parallel of what we are to a great extent studying in this system of church discipline. We're looking today at our final and last sermon, sermon number 20, on church discipline. And just before we get into it, I just simply want for you to note the purpose of church discipline is that an individual who is in Christ and maybe has wandered from the path of the will of God according to his written word is brought back into the church where he is given guidance and he is taught what God has given to us to believe. And thus it becomes essential as a means of God's grace through those things that he has given to us the word that is preached, the sacraments that are lived out, the prayer life that needs to be involved by the church and directed toward the individual and their life. And secondly, if a person leaves or gets in trouble with the church, they've made a profession of faith, but let's say it's not a true profession, but a false profession, that may become relevant to them. And their eyes may be open that that which is necessary to actually possess in your life, that which is given to us by the power of God, that indwelling of the Spirit of God by which faith and all other saving graces have been delivered to us, will become a reality which will result in what? The very same thing. They will be in love with Christ's church. Why would we not be in love with Christ's church? How can you love Christ and not love his church? Oh, his church isn't going to be perfect. But even Jesus Christ puts up with that. And if you really want to love Christ, you're going to love his church. Because it's the church that he died Four. And so it never surprises me that someone will post, for example, on the internet, well, I got kicked out of church. I didn't know that you shouldn't say this or I should challenge this or that. And somebody that's been a friend for years just told me he got the boot. And I said, what? you get the boot for? I was interested to see what was going on, and he gave a very good explanation, explained to the people. He actually went to the elders, sat with them, talked, and gave them a letter explaining his position along with telling it to them, and asked that he be relieved in order that he can leave the church. Now, he said, I did it the way they wrote it. Everybody else had just been leaving and they've done nothing. But he said, I got the boot. And I said, well, you probably had a direct challenge to them, and they probably didn't take real kindly to it. 
But I knew as soon as he put that in there, somebody was going to pipe up and go, you know what? You don't need the church to love Jesus Christ. And you can be and go anywhere you want to go. You don't have to have anything to do with the church. And I simply pointed out to him, that's not what the Bible says, that you're making a false statement. There is a requirement that we assemble ourselves weekly. For what? To receive those means of grace God has given us to encourage us to remain faithful and in love with him who by the power of his spirit indwells us and directs our path to the end in our sanctification. Oh, we have declaratory sanctification. Or different words are used for it. But whether it's positionally in Christ, which is a phrase that's often used, we all have that aspect. But there is a progression that we are to continue in if we truly are believers. We often refer to it as what? The perseverance of the saints. Saints who say they're Christian will persevere in it. Show me a Christian who will not persevere in his faith. I will show you a Christian that is not a Christian at all. At least by his own testimony, he's not. And so this is what we've been dealing with in this doctrine of the church. Our goal has been to what? Bring reconciliation. To bring restoration to the erring or sinning Christian or to one who has falsely professed faith that they are outside of Christ and that they need to be right with Christ because we are remedial justice. I've told you over and over again, I cannot shoot you. I cannot beat you with a big stick. I cannot encourage people to go out and hang you. That's not our job. Our job is to say, you know what? This person will no longer hear the word of God. They think they can do it their own way, live independently and autonomously from God. But God doesn't accept that. And we need to mark that person. And we need to withdraw our fellowship. We're not throwing them outside of the building of the church. We want them to come back and hear the word every Sunday. But we withdraw that familiar fellowship that we have based upon our love for the word of God and the Christ of that holy word. And as a result, we say we can no longer care for them. Once our justice is done, our work that God has commanded of us, and we'll see that here, we've looked at this in Matthew 18, then we turn it back over to God. God doesn't do remedial justice when we're done. Now you're going to play hard justice with the king. He's the guy 
who can lay you up in the hospital. He can break every bone in your body if he wants to. He can kill you. He can do whatever he wants to do. He will deliver justice. You deny him, he'll deny you. You lie about him, he will punish you for your lies. And so the thing that I wanted you to see with church discipline, our goal is to stop God from going, I've had enough. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Step out of the way. Now I'll deal with that person. And so it is. We've seen it with Paul saying, I have turned these two individuals over to Satan that their body may be destroyed, that if they are believers, their souls will be saved. That's the same God of the New Testament that we have as the same God. That's not our goal. There's no satisfaction in doing that. We may have to be called upon to do that, but there is no satisfaction. And so we looked last week at the importance of trying to restore to fellowship those who are outside of fellowship. And that certainly rings true with the understanding the church has concerning our duty to use the means of grace in our life that we may grow in a knowledge that leads to strong, mature Christianity. But that cannot be done outside of the work of the visible church either. It must be in conjunction with what he declared, which was what? The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. When we say in our confession every week that there is no salvation outside of the church of Jesus Christ. We mean the repository of God's truth is the church and the church goes out and preaches the gospel. But beware of those who do not preach within the authority and boundary of the church. Then they began to teach doctrine that is not consistent with the word. Well, in coming to this, the end of our time, the thing that I, I want us to look at in this last sermon is that there is an importance for us to have encouragement in the work that God has done for us in discipline. A lot of discipline does not end well, and a lot of it does. There are many that have walked away, and they've basically said, I don't care what God does. I don't have to listen to his church. Even if he gave them the power to bind and to loosen, I don't care. You should care. Because he didn't say that to waste his breath. Amen.
But at the same time, it's important for us to never forget that there is this restoration that comes. There is this encouragement that as we see these things work out the way God ordained them to work, that we take great relief and refuge in the power of the Spirit of God and the life of those who truly believe. So our text through this series has been Matthew 18. And with the writing here, we read beginning at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, if he will hear, that is, if he will embrace what you have said in his transgression, if he hears you, you will have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. They go to help in the reconciliation between brother and brother, and in that way they are there to also counsel and encourage, but they are also there to witness what is actually being said and done, that they may be able to testify to that. And if he refuses to what? Hear them. So they are speaking. They are talking to him. Tell it to the church. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, you will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together, here's the context of this. In my name, for what purpose? Of restoring a breach in the midst of this discipline to restore peace between brothers between people of the church, one with another, people with the church, people within the church. He says, I am there in the midst of them. So be assured, Christ is there, and he is a witness to the whole thing. Very, very important. Let's have quickly a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for your word it is your word, O oh God, that leads us to righteousness. It is the truth that you have given to us. Thy word is our standard by which we measure all things. We do not measure it in the wisdom of man. We do not rely upon man's abilities. But your word is absolute truth. It does not change. It always remains the same. It is your standard.
to determine right and wrong. It is your standard upon which truth is established and restoration comes and healing comes when we truly are putting thy word to use in our life. We pray, O oh God, as we come today to your word, may your spirit flow freely among us. May we, Father, be encouraged by the word. It is the spirit who has written this word. He will encourage us in the word and direct our paths by the word. We will not go some independent route. But we pray, O oh God, that as we come in this hour to hear the word, may your spirit encourage us that, Father, we may receive the word, that, Father, we may embrace the truth of the word, that we may walk faithfully in that truth that you have given us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that heart to receive, that which your word and spirit would Teach us by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Nineteen Sundays ago, we began to look at this question of church discipline. It is such an ugly phrase. People, when they hear it, shy from it. They don't like it. Church discipline. Oh, that's where the church is abusive. And the world says, oh, they are abusive they want you to do this and this. No, the only thing we've ever asked you to do is to obey the word of God. Of course, the world is going to hunker around you, put their arms and say, oh, you know what? The problem is that God and Christ and his church are just mean people. You should be able to sin like you want to and do it with impunity because you really want to do that. They ought not be able to tell you anything else. And they just need to leave you alone. You need to get out of that church. Well, church discipline isn't a bad word. As we said, the word discipline itself is etymologically rooted in the idea of learning, education, if you will, teaching, instructing, or tutoring. This is what we're involved in. We're training people. We're tutoring people. We're discipling people to be faithful to the dictates of the word of God. That which God has commanded of us to be involved in. We must heed that command. We call these the didactics of theology, commands. Narratives may be supportive, but it's only where there is a command given that you are bound to carry out that command. And you're not given choices in it. It's not like you're all of a sudden given a command and going, oh, what's behind door number one, two, or three? Which would you like to do? 
No, no. When the command comes, it specifies. Door number one, do not go to door number two and three. God gives great specificity in his word. And we have noted that there is both the negative and the positive side in the structure of this church discipline. On the one hand, it says, stop your sinning. Quit violating the law of God, transgressing the law, committing sin, if you will. Put on the righteousness of Christ. Walk in him according to the word. Not what you think you feel. It's not an emotional response. But it is a response to the command that Christ has given to us. So we've looked at that, and now we're looking at having gone through this, having even gone to the point of having removed someone, and we've talked about the need to restore that one. Let's talk about this encouragement. Jesus Christ gives his church three important encouragements for pursuing church discipline. Matthew 18, 18 through 21, which we just read. But let me give it to you again. Look for it. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This passage marriage discussion, for it is Christ's own encouragement to the church. It is Christ speaking to the church for practicing biblical church discipline. Jesus saw church discipline being needed even in his day, and he addresses it. Of course, you may be saved, but you're still a sinner saved by grace. All sin has not been wiped away. You're not yet completely glorified. You're going to deal with sin all of your life. The question is, are you going to deal with it or not? Are you going to try to mortify sin in the negative side of sanctification, but on the positive side, put on the commands of Christ, walk according to the law that he has given us in order that we might glorify him and honor him in all that we seek to do. It's needed now more than ever. Let us then consider this exhortation. Notice first what Jesus says here in verse 20. When Christ's people exercise proper discipline, he is present in the process. Do you understand that? He is present in the process. He's literally, he says, in their midst. Most likely, this refers to discipline at stages four and five. But it could be all of the five stages. 
While Christ does work through informal discipline, he especially does through the more serious aspects of church, ecclesiastical, the formal side of discipline, where those who are in charge with authority and the church itself is participating. Remember, we said this isn't a one-sided thing. It's just not officers. When they research and deal with this thing and they have a trial, they bring that information to you and say, this is the problem, this is the sin, this is what the scripture says you need to do. And as a result, the church must participate. He just doesn't say to the elders, you separate from them. But let everybody else just act like nothing's happened. <laughs> Sorry, he just doesn't do it. He does so in a way to be an encouragement and a warning to us, the church, as we are bound to practice exactly the way Scripture says, and only that. If we want the presence of Christ in our midst, we must apply discipline properly. If we don't apply it properly, that's the beauty of Presbyterianism. You can appeal it to the higher court and say, they didn't deal with me properly not the way the Book of Church Order says they ought to be dealing with me. You can appeal it. Thank God you're not in an independent church because there's no appealing. Man, when they give you the left foot of fellowship, you're out. But not in the Presbyterian church. If they, the elders, pastors, make a mistake, they can be brought in and they can be disciplined for their mishandling of the word. So it's very important that this ability to appeal to a higher authority, not just say, well, God will judge them one day. Yeah, well, he already gave us a system, a presbyterial system by which we will be judged, where no one is beyond accountability. From the moderator to the general assembly, on down, we're all accountable. We all have to stand and account for our actions. And so it is disciplined, rightfully administered. That he is present should be noted when the situation gets tough and looks discouraging. Christ is in the middle of this. What work is he doing? In your midst. Well, it's not going the way we were hoping. Well, Christ is there. You don't think he can't do what he said he would do? Do you not think that what is happening is at the will of Christ in your midst? We should never be discouraged. We should be encouraged. What if there is an actual false profession of faith and Christ being in the midst 
reveals it by the power of his spirit to them. They would have been deceived, gone on their way, and had they died without real repentance, they'd have gone to hell. These are eternal things, brethren. We are assured then of this. He is present. The outcome itself thus will be what? Correct. If we are following his command, if we're doing it the way he says to do it, the outcome will be at the hand of Christ. Christ also encourages us the church, when he declares that the prayers of those who honor him via church discipline will be heard, when they pray for him to be involved, to get involved in the life, to be involved in the action of the church, when they call upon him and his power to come in and reign in, there is encouragement to know Christ has promised he will be there. He will give to the church officers the very answers that they need to seek if they will what? Follow scripture. That is probably the most important phrase I can give you in the church today. The very thing that is being denied in so many churches. They don't say follow scripture, they come up with everything. Oh, love God. Oh, be of good heart. Pray not. Just love your brother. You hear all kinds of things, but you never hear somebody say hardly ever anymore. Follow scripture. Follow the word. Do the word. You want Christ there? Do it the way he said to do it. It's not optional. When officers seek God's will, asking him to bring about the right results, that's what's being promised that they will receive. It may not be the results they expected, and it may not be the results others expected, but it will be his results. When he shows something wrong in your character and in your attitude, and in the way that you won't obey the word of God, you're being revealed before all. Then you can try to hide that all you want to. You can try to say, well, you see, they didn't do it the way I think they should have done. No, no, no. The word of God said you either conform or get out. And if you don't conform, they want to put you out, and then I'm going to deal with you with your attitude. Brethren, the Bible says it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Why don't we believe that? Be assured God will not ignore the requests of the church. If they are really seeking to restore, if they're really seeking to make things right, if they're following the word of God exactly the way he's told them to do it, 
He's not going to ignore the request. And they don't have to do it perfect. He'll correct all the little things that need to be corrected along the way. But the results will definitely be from him. Regarding verse 18, let us be clear, the KJV is not quite correct in its translation here. It's not that heaven will abide by whatever is done on earth. Rather, Christ is assuring his church that they are only confirming outwardly what has already been determined in the heavens. Whenever they properly carry out church discipline, they are fulfilling the decree of God along with the revealed commandment. They're to bind and they're to lose, which means they're to have authority. They're to permit or prohibit people from certain things. Here it pertains to the entire process of the church discipline. In short, if Christ's church will exercise his authority by utilizing church discipline, Christ will back up his bride. Why would he not? Why would he expect his bride to love him if he doesn't back up? Well, he didn't say you could do anything you want to do. When they do it the way he commands it, he's got her back. Or as the police like to say, He's got our six. I don't know why it's six. It could have been 12 to me. But anyway, he's got our six. He's got our back. I'm going to defend you. I am going to bless you. I am going to bring around the results that you have prayed and asked for. Because you're only going to be confirming what is already confirmed in heaven. Now, if you're Clearly, and you do believe in a sovereign God, then you must believe that which comes to pass comes by the decree and the will of God. It may not be what we hoped for, but it's what he promised. In the end, in the end, you'll have an answer. You'll have an answer. In all three verses, there is strong assurance that the church will never go it alone when it comes to discipline if they are doing the word of God. They are doing it in his name, by his power. I tell you, He's going to back them. Christ is one present. Two, it says, he hears our sincere prayers. And three, he backs what we must do according to his will. And we ought to take enjoyment from that and comfort. We're doing it the way he commanded. We're doing what he told us to do. 
We are here to protect his church, his bride. And when you have people come in who do not want to do that and do not want to be a part of that harmony, peace, and love that a bride gives to its Savior, something's wrong. And you're going to have to deal with it. How then are we to go about doing church discipline? I would suggest that those with the authority that is to say that you need to see the church's authority, those who have the responsibility of carrying out discipline to do six things. First, get the matter clear in your mind. Those who are the pastors, the elders of the church, they need to study God's book and be sure as to what the scripture teaches concerning the issue that is before them. Clarity. We do, we research that. What does the word of God say to us? What does it teach us? And how does what they're doing differ from what the word says? Secondly, the elders of the church need to be taught this very carefully. You got to teach your elders what they have learned so that they can help in the process of restoration of the fallen. Hold special classes if necessary. Teach them what church discipline is about and how that we do that discipline according to scripture. If you do not have elders to support Godly church discipline will become impossible. If the elders go, oh, no, why are we doing this? And all of a sudden, rather than speaking as one voice of authority, you have various voices of authority speaking. You'll never succeed at church discipline. We must come to unity. And what the word of God clearly states how it is to be applied, and how we are to apply it to this situation. Third, instruct the congregation about church discipline. Wow, that's what we've been doing, isn't it? We've been preaching about it. We need to teach about it if we have adult class at some point in time. And some aspects of that has been going through with what Jason has been dealing with. Pastor Jason has been teaching what? Basic instruction about the need of church discipline, the reason why we have all these means of grace. And so we see this all coming together in the providence of God. It's really a, a thing to behold. We need to ensure that our congregations understand the process. that they are fully informed as to why discipline is taking place. And that they will be willing also, what? To follow you and to follow the elders. As you proceed down, sometimes a very traumatic road, they will be most willing to do what God commands. 
doesn't matter if it's brother, sister, mother, grandmother, grandfather, grandfather, your grandfather, great-grandfather. It doesn't matter who it is, brother, sister, cousin. It doesn't matter. Friend, it just doesn't matter. When they step outside of the word, they must be told, you will return to the word. God didn't say, oh, I really hope they'll come back. Because that's not what he does when he comes in judgment. When we've done remedial judgment, he steps in and says, basically, if I could kind of state it in a more of a more nominal way today, step aside and let me show you how it's done. And then he does it. And sometimes the price is on. It can cost you everything. We are always seeking to do what is right before God. Fourth, it is only then that you should consider cases in your congregation that have long been neglected. Begin by dealing with those who have confessed faith and explain why they're out of discipline with the church. And why they need to be dealt with properly. And they need to be restored. They need to be rescued from a judgment that is coming upon them. Why would we want to not stop people that we love from going into the judgment of a sovereign God? I never understand that. Church discipline is so looked upon with disdain. Why? When all you're doing is trying to restore the fallen back to a loving relationship with their Savior. Well, fifth, as new cases arise, each one should be carefully pursued according to the word of God, to what Christ has commanded of us, and according to the teaching of the word by the law of God. If someone transgresses or sins against you, they've transgressed the law of God at some point. That needs to be looked up. We've talked about that already. Whether or not it's a real transgression or whether or not it's an offense but not necessarily has transgressed the law of God but yet needs to be looked at carefully. And sixth, Preaching should especially encourage the congregation to follow the informal disciplinary process. Go to your brother. Do it alone. Tell him he's transgressed against you. If not, go. But what's the most important step? Self-discipline. Constantly bringing your life in line with the word of God. I'm telling you, we're going to commit sins on a daily basis. Are we repenting for those sins in Christ? Not seeking to do them, but they are being done, usually by omission. But we need to still get forgiveness. We need to make our heart daily right with God. Beg him to be with us to give us the power of his spirit to indwell us 
with that strength that we will be totally yielded to the power of the Spirit to walk according to the word of the living God. If we will do that, I tell you, we will curb the need for formal discipline. Well, now that we have learned what it means to discipline, to disciple, to teach, to instruct, to reprimand, to bring back, it's time that we begin that work. It's time for us to keep assured that we are doing the process. Both the church needs to know that it's being done, and so does the leaders of the church who have the duty to carry it out. But it is our church who belongs to our Christ of which we are all called to defend. That our church walks in truth in the purity of his word. Always according to the word. As I have said so many times, it's gotten to be nothing but old hat. Dr. Clark said it so well. It is the word of God written by which we govern all things. It's because that's what the Westminster Divine said. The word of God written. Here in is how we are to direct our path in the life that we live before him.